0: Thank you for visiting Crossland Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at coccurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. We have spent the last three weeks learning that you don't have to have all your questions answered to take the plunge. You do not have to have all your questions answered to uh, place your faith in Christ. and that is in no way to discount the questions that you have, and that's, that's not to diminish in any way the objections that may uh, kind of underlie some of your hesitation and some of your uh, wondering about why people would even place their faith in Christ and why they would live a life that is devoted to Jesus. Um, your questions are important, but at the same time, there is a way to bring those questions with you into faith uh, as you walk with Christ. Uh, you don't have to wait and, and work through a bunch of things and get all your obstacles overcome before you do that. The, the truth is, I've never met a person who really came to Christ and worked through every single question they had and had everything laid to rest and then said, okay, I've got everything figured out, now I'm ready to follow Jesus. I, I don't know that I've ever known someone who did that. There, there are probably, and whether they're even being honest about it or not, sometimes— there are probably things that underlie that they wonder, you know, how did that happen? Or what about this? But it doesn't prohibit them. It doesn't stop them from, from placing their faith in Christ. I want to close today with, um, with what the questions are because we've been talking about how the questions will shrink. And, and you, you, know, we could, I could ask you, we could take a poll in here this morning and I could ask you, you know, what question is the big question for you? And we might come up with as many questions as there are people in the room. It might be different for all of us. Uh, What I would say, and where I'm going this morning is, all of those questions fall to the wayside when you consider, there are two very important questions that have to be answered. And I would argue that your question, whatever it is, basically has to fall under one of Two different things you know that we 've got the you, you, what, what about this and and why would God do this, and but what about that and i don 't understand why God did this, and you know we go through those kind of things, and we would have those kind of questions and, and I could sit and talk to you and try to answer a lot of those questions, and maybe I could and maybe i couldn 't you know i 'm not suggesting that i 'm the smartest guy in the world, but I might be able to help you with something, but I doubt seriously that if I sat down and talked with you uh, and, and dealt with your questions that we would at the end of that conversation have laid everything to rest for you and you would say okay you've finally given me all the answers I need you know there's books that have been written I could hand you all the books you could go off and read those and I I venture to say that at the end of that experience you would come back and say you know the book was good and I learned some things and I've got more information but there still are some questions that I've got and I don't really know what to do with those Um, at the end of the day you might not get any closer uh, to a relationship with God after reading all those books so today I want to give you the two questions that I think you should wrestle to the ground these are the two that that i think you should be asking these these questions are are vital very important and and certainly are questions that have to be tackled on the way to faith and if i could take all your other questions i think they would fit under one of two things the two questions that that we're going to look at this morning one really more than the other but the two questions are who is and what happened who is and what happened if you ever open yourself up to embracing jesus as your savor savior and giving your life to god it will happen around these two questions not not all the other questions not that they're not important not that they they don't deserve some answers but um they just kind of put you in a death loop because some of the questions that you're asking let's be honest you're never going to get those answered in this lifetime there there are things that you've wondered and that you i bet you've got that thing there i've got them I've got them. I've got the questions. <laughs> like like when I finally get in front of God, I'm going to be bold enough to say, God, I got a couple of questions for you. You know, I know when I'm finally in front of God, I'm probably going to be face down, looking similar to Ryan on the high dive. But but you know, just just so in awe of being in God's presence. But but if I ever can settle down, and God says, Hey, Brett, is there anything that you would like to ask me about your time um, on earth that I've got some of those you, you probably do too uh, But most of those things are death loop kind of questions that you're not going to get answered in this lifetime um, Because really some of them are unanswerable, but if you will really work on these two questions You'll move closer to god and in the process uh, You're going to make some progress along the way. So let me explain what happened the reason that that's such an important question is that unlike other religions and unlike other philosophies and belief systems christianity is not grounded In philosophy. Christianity is not even really grounded in theology. I know that probably surprises you a little bit, uh, but it's not. It's not even grounded in a worldview. That's not really what Christianity is about. Christianity, the foundational truth of Christianity is that something happened. Something happened, and everything in history is kind of built around this idea that something happened. And these are the, the events that started the whole ball rolling into this thing that we have come to call. Christianity <clears throat> and so the second question that is so important and it is the preeminent question it 's really the one we 're going to spend most of our time on today uh, it 's the one that trumps all the other questions that, that you 've got uh, you 'll have to wrestle this to, to the ground at some point and it will put all of your other questions in their place. The question is this: who is Jesus now now that that is a, a question that has been asked through the ages and that 's a question that anybody who 's ever given their life to Christ has had to stop and just ask themselves, okay, who is this guy that, that I am about to place my trust and my faith in him to remove my sins from my, me and, and to take uh, everything that I've done and, and, and get, that, get me to a place where I can have the hope of an eternity with God? Who is Jesus that, that he could, could do that? That's pretty much the issue and that's pretty much the question that has to be answered for all of us. Um, not can God get all the dinosaurs on the ark you know not can god make two mountains where there's no valley in between not um you know those are things that are fun to talk about can god um you know make a, a can can angels dance on the heads of pins and things like that those are fun things to talk about but only one thing really really demands an answer and that is who is jesus uh, that's the one that you need to answer and what happened two thousand years ago that that changed history in such a way because those are the foundational questions and my point is real simple if you ever decide to uh consider christianity if something ever happens and you start thinking about god again and here is what you can count on something in your life will happen to cause you to think about god something in your life if you're not now if you're just if you're just coming with your friends or you're you're coming and you think well uh, I'm just putting my time in i'm, I'm waiting for this series to be over So these people will leave me alone and won't you know bug me to go to the internet and listen to sermons and things like that if, if that's you if you're at a place where you're saying, you know, I I can't wait till all this is over I don't really believe in god. I don't want to think about god Here's what i'm telling you some point in your life. Something's going to happen. It's going to get personal for you You will come front and center with who is god You will come front and center with god. What what is going on? around me what 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 are you doing i don't understand you will um at some point whether you admit it or not in some quiet place maybe in your car in your bed when you lay there at night or maybe in a in a hospital room one of these days with someone you love and you whisper a silent prayer god if you're there if you're there i really need to hear from you those are the foundational questions that we're trying to wrestle to the ground today um no matter how many years from now it is, my heart's desire is that you start thinking about it. That there's something that would bring you back to these two questions. That there's something that would bring you back to ask who is and what happened that will make it personal. Today I want to look at a very obscure story in the New Testament. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts. We're going to start in Acts chapter 7. We've got about three chapters. We're going to move through them real quick. In fact, I'm not going to be in 7 and 8 very long at all, just a verse in each of them but um acts chapter 7 is where we're going to start this morning you're going to be introduced to a guy that you've heard of before you've heard this guy's name and he had to ask these questions uh also he had to ask who is and what happened because uh this guy's world really gets rocked and whenever somebody has to ask these hard questions um it, it comes down to the to these two who is who is jesus and what happened? Let me give you a, a little setup to the story, a little bit of history. This story takes place months and months after Jesus was crucified. Uh, after Jesus was crucified, the Romans and the, the people who crucified Jesus thought to themselves, well, game over. You know, we, we killed the guy. We, we killed this wannabe Messiah. He's gone. We don't have to worry about him anymore. And now everything can get back to normal. We, we don't have to listen to this, you know, all this upheaval that he brought we don't have to put up with that anymore but instead of things getting back to normal all these people in jerusalem kept talking about jesus and within just a few weeks of his resurrection there was an explosion of interest about jesus in jerusalem and so thousands of jewish people began to believe that jesus was their messiah and the reason they began to believe was because there was there were hundreds of people running around saying we saw him We saw no we crucified jesus. Yeah, we know that we 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 know that you put him in a tomb even But but we saw him and I said, what do you mean? We saw him we saw him crucified We saw him taken off the cross. We saw him put in a tomb We saw them seal that tomb up and we went back three days later and that stone was rolled away And he was gone and not only that we saw him resurrected And so there were thousands of eyewitnesses saying that they had seen him well, as you might imagine, this was rather unsettling to the people uh, who had killed him because they were of the opinion that if you kill a guy, you kill the movement. You know, if you kill, if you kill the, the wannabe Messiah, then you don't have to worry anymore about this thing developing into something that gets uncontrollable, and yet this movement was bigger, not smaller, and this was a very disturbing thing to Rome. So they began this concerted effort to shut down the movement with all these new Christians. Now, here's something you need to know. They weren't called Christians at the beginning, they were just a, a bunch of Jewish people, and uh, Jesus was just an extension of everything that they had believed. And so, um, you know, they actually would gather around the temple and around the synagogues, and they would talk about Jesus because Jesus wasn't a new thing. Jesus was just an extension of an old thing. This was kind of like an add-on to the religion that they already had. They were already Jews. They well steeped in the Old Testament and the traditions of the Old Testament. But then Jesus comes along. They're starting to place their faith in Jesus, and he kind of gets added on to what they already believe. And so one of the most effective speakers about jesus Was a guy named stephen and every time they would argue with stephen in public stephen was pretty sharp He would make them look foolish and more and more people would come to believe in jesus as a result of the ministry and the work of this guy named stephen Well, they couldn't have that so they were going to shut this guy down They hired some people to lie about stephen And they arrested him and they tried and convicted him of something worthy of death and we don't really know what it is that they found that they accused Stephen of but it was it was enough that they were willing to take him out and stone him to death now we don't do this anymore but the point of a stoning was that the community would gather around the person that they were going to stone it was a community event and so um, it was just a way of saying no one person is responsible for this person's death but we as a community believe that this person should die so we are all going to participate in the death of this individual and so you would gather these people around and so stephen became uh the first christian martyr now all that sets up what is to happen next uh, during his stoning there was a very intelligent young man who was there and you've heard of him you've heard of this guy and if this was a hollywood movie what we would see is we would see a pile of dusty robes kind of s- set to the side because these men and women were going to be throwing these rocks and say so they would take their tunics off they would have piled those up over on the side. And uh, if, if we were in Hollywood, Hollywood would do it like this. You'd see this pile of dusty robes, and you'd have this ominous music playing, and it would start at the robes, and then it would come over, and you would see these suntanned ankles and these sandals of this guy. And it would come up his frame. It would come up his legs, and you'd see his torso. And then the, the, the movie film would come and rest on the face of this young man who was a very zealous Jew uh, by the name... Saul. And um, this was a a great moment in history, I guess, for him because he was standing around watching Stephen be stoned and he's saying, Absolutely, this guy should be put to death. Absolutely. I'm in wholehearted agreement with what is going on here. The Bible tells us that he gave his hearty approval to the stoning of Stephen. Um, And so as the camera pans up, you're introduced to this guy named Saul. And he would later become. Uh, known as paul which was his roman name Uh, the preeminent church planner who wrote half the new testament and everybody knows who he is and so this is the story of how he became known Uh, now i want to quickly read this with you because we got a lot of ground to cover so we're going to go through it quickly acts chapter 7 verse 58 the second part meanwhile the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named saul We go to acts chapter 8 verse 1 and saul was there giving approval to his death On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at jerusalem And all except the apostles were scattered throughout judea and samaria So here's what happens all of a sudden jews realize oh, it's okay for us now to kill christians And it's like open season on all the christians and all the all these jewish people who've placed their faith in christ So it's okay to kill them and so this big persecution broke out and and uh, it, and the the romans kind of turned a blind eye the jewish officials the religious leaders kind of turned a blind eye to this whole thing and this religious system uh just really turned its back pretty much on those who were claiming christ and so you have all these jewish people who have now considered christ and placed their faith in christ and they realize it's not safe for them in jerusalem so what they do is they scatter all throughout the region they go all over the place because this persecution has broken out in jerusalem and it's just not safe really to be there anymore and so theoretically the only people who are still left in jerusalem are the apostles so you got all these christians all over the place all scattered throughout the region and the story continues acts chapter 9 verse 1 and we're going to we're going to kind of camp in acts chapter 9 now meanwhile saul was breathing out murderous threats against the lord's disciples now let's stop right there later in the book of acts It says that paul would have christians arrested tortured and until they recanted their faith in christ so he would have them arrested he would have them beaten he would have them tortured and he would just wait for them to recant what they believed about jesus this is the kind of guy saul was it's really important that you understand that the guy that wrote half the new testament this person that we call paul his first life the first part of his life was all spent trying to quell this thing that was going on in jerusalem he didn't want christianity to spread he didn't want the name of jesus being put out there he hated the name of jesus and he couldn't stand anybody who had placed their faith in christ so this is the guy that we're talking about this not only did he put him to death he would stand around and watch him get tortured he, he rather liked it. it it was what he did for fun he he looked forward to a time when he could watch these kind of things happen to God's people. This is the kind of person we're dealing with when we talk about Saul. It's really important that you understand what Saul's heart was and what he gave hearty approval to as he watched these Christians get tortured. Verse 1 Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters, or another way to say that is he went and asked for permission uh, to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there, who belonged to the way and that's what back then that's what they called this movement of christianity it was it wasn't called christianity it was called the way you talked about the people uh, of the way and uh, whether men or women he might take them as prisoners to jerusalem so saul is not just content to get rid of the christians in jerusalem That's not his end game his end game is to go out and track them down He says, you know what? I I know they scattered so i'm going to go out i'm going to find these people wherever I can find them I'm going to get permission. I'm going to have letters uh, That give me authority to bring these people back to jerusalem Uh, And um, so he went to the high priest and he asked for his permission if I track them down uh, And I find them can I bring them back here? Is that okay with you? And they said, yeah, that's fine High priest said here take these papers with you. This will be all the, the the authority that you need now you have our permission to arrest men and women, drag them back to Jerusalem, and we will try them and convict them and possibly stone them to death. That's the kind of guy we're dealing with. He was adamant that this Christianity thing was a cult. It was a false teaching. It was a threat, as far as Paul was, uh, Saul was concerned, to Judaism. And it was causing a disturbance between the Jewish people and Rome. So you pause for a second. Imagine that if I were to drop you in to, to world history at this particular point in time, I I could drop you down into history and you were there when Saul comes walking out of the meeting that he just had with the high priest and he's got papers in his hands that give him permission to go track down the Christians all scattered throughout the region and arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. If someone were to stop us and to say to us, hey, see that guy over there with the stack of papers? One of these days, he is going to become the world's most famous proponent for christianity If I could if I could have put you in history And you could have watched him come out of the meeting and I said see that guy right there He just got permission to go get all these christians bring them back to jerusalem I'm telling you right now that guy one day is going to be the greatest missionary the world has ever seen You would say brett you're crazy There's no way there's no way a guy that 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 is that on fire to to squash a movement is ever going to become a part of the movement. I would say, what do you think the odds are? You would say less than zero. Ain't going to happen. Just is not going to happen. There's no way in this city, um, there's nobody in this city that is more passionate about stopping this movement than this guy that we call Saul. And uh, you, you you would not have believed it. And yet, the reason that you have heard about the Apostle Paul is not because of his opposition to the church. The reason you know about the Apostle Paul is because he did more to spread the gospel possibly than any other person who's ever lived on this planet. No one really probably has ever experienced more, risked more, been more courageous, um, written more profoundly about Christ, uh, touched more people uh, since the time he's lived with his words and the message that he wrote. Uh, Probably no. I mean we name our kids after this guy. We name buildings after that we name cities in this country after this guy And so you ask yourself what in the world happened to change this man who wanted to see christianity wiped off the planet Into a person who would be such a proponent for christianity. What happened? What happened to him? Verse 3 chapter 9 of acts as he neared damascus on his journey suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him now you got to lock in right here because this is where it really gets good this is where things start to break loose verse four he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him Saul Saul why do you persecute me at which point if Saul had not been knocked to the ground (laughs) and blinded uh, which we find out later happened um, Saul might have responded this way well what do you mean persecute me I'm not persecuting me I'm not I'm persecuting an it I'm persecuting a false theology I'm persecuting an ideology. I'm persecuting a movement. I'm persecuting a cult I'm trying to stop this thing from getting any bigger because I think it's I think it's detrimental to judaism I'm persecuting a bunch of renegade jewish people that are running Uh ruining it for the rest of us that are saying you know what there's more to this story and 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 saul is saying i'm telling you there's no more to the story and i'm just trying to stop it because it's not good for us it's not good for our our, our religion and i'm not persecuting a me this isn't about this isn't about a me this is about an it this is about a thing the struggle with jerusalem and this the struggle that we have within uh, uh, judaism it's not about a person it's about an ideology a, a theology a movement but what he heard was saul Saul why do you persecute me And then in there he asked the most important question that any man or woman can ever ask It's the question that if you tune everything else out if you didn't come uh, To any other part of this series and you haven't heard any of the other sermons that have been preached if you if you Don't go back to church for a while if you just say you know what i'm not going to do this anymore If you just took it all and threw it away And you don't want to see any more manger scenes and you don't want anybody giving you books with underlined verses or you don't want any more CDs, you know, sermons on CDs, somebody saying, hey, please listen to this. You know, if you just wanted to be rid of all that kind of stuff, I just want you to hold on to one thing and just log it away for future reference. Here's the most important question. Verse five. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Who are you? who are you you see the answer to that question trumps all the other answers to all the other questions that you're ever going to ask in your life who are you Lord asking that question shrinks all the other questions down to a size where they become manageable and in some cases answerable who are you Lord middle of verse 5 I am Jesus whom you are persecuting he replied once again Paul could have said wait wait I'm not persecuting Jesus That's not what I'm doing. There is no Jesus. Jesus is buried somewhere. They put him to death some time ago. I'm not not dealing with Jesus. I'm persecuting a people. I'm persecuting a movement. What what Paul was saying was, what Saul is saying is, this isn't personal. This is business. This is me just trying to take care of of what has to happen as far as Judaism is concerned, to which uh, Jesus had already made the point Oh, yes, it, it is, Saul. It's very personal. Because this isn't between you and a religion. This isn't between you and church. This, is, uh, this isn't between just you and a group of people. This is between you and me, Saul. This is really personal. Why are you persecuting me? Now, listen to this. I want to I plant an idea in your heart maybe this morning you know that thing inside you where you're having this conversation with your spouse or maybe someone at work maybe a boss or an employee or or a coworker. and once in a while they kind of lob a christian thing into your world you know just to try and make you think a little bit and you, it, it, every once in a while you just have to take cover because it's incoming here comes another one you know they're they're praying over me or whatever and you don't like that or you just wish that they wouldn't do that kind of thing And and they, they, you know, they, they walk up to you and they say stuff like, hey, would you like to go to church with me? And you just want to look at them and say, no. And you know you want to shut them down and you know you just wish that they would leave you alone. And you know that you have questions that they can't answer and stories that they can't respond to. But isn't it true that when you win the debate, when you get into a debate with them and you throw out these questions that that they can't answer and you walk away and you know that you've left them with the unanswerable questions and they're frustrated because they mean well. They want you to come to Jesus, but you're not coming to Jesus and you've got all the questions. You, You know how to keep Christians at arm's length. and. And you can just walk away and say, boy, I I left them, I slayed them that time. And you're a rock. You've formed these huge walls, and nobody gets through the walls that you've erected. They they don't have the arguments. You can beat them every time. You know exactly the right thing to say. And no theologian, and for heaven's sake, no preacher is going to get to you. Isn't it true that there is an unresolved battle within you? Here's the idea that I want to plant for you to take home. The battle is not between you and ideas, and it is not between you and the church, and it is not between um, you and your background. It's not even between you and your conscience. It's between you and the person of Jesus Christ. That's where the battle is, because this is personal. And if you would ever, for just one season in your life, Stop and set all of your other questions aside just long enough to ask the one question and just wrestle this one question to the ground. It's verse five. Lord, who are you? Perhaps that would be an invitation for God to do inside you what he has done inside so many people, to reveal himself in a way that is new and very personal for you. And what is simply a category and what is simply something that's theological and philosophical maybe. By that simple expression, Lord, who are you? It might become personal for you. The story goes on, the second part of verse 5. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, Paul, or Saul, tells us this story again later in the book of Acts, and he tells the story again and gives other details to us. In in Acts 26, verse 14, he tells the same story, but he adds a little bit of detail to it. I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 26. We all fell to the ground, this is, Paul, Saul. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then he adds this little thing. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, we don't use that word much anymore. When was the last time you used the word goad? That's just not one we have in our vocabulary for for everyday use. We maybe whip that out on special occasions. But a goad was a stick, or a long piece of steel that they would use to drive oxen or they would use to drive donkeys, sometimes large sheep, they would use it. And the problem with a goad is, is, you know, an animal wouldn't move and they would just keep poking and keep poking. There's no way an animal can resist that goad. Eventually, they're finally going to give in and they will move when they get goaded because they just can't stop it. It was futile to resist a goad because you would just keep getting goaded and goaded and until finally that animal would move. And so Paul would write later that he would hear Jesus say, "You know, it's pointless to resist me. It's pointless to keep putting up a fight, Paul, or Saul in this case. Yeah, his name hasn't been changed yet. You can stone people, you can torture people, you can fight and fight, but at the end, I'm going to win. It is pointless." To resist me and you know what for some of you that might have been your experience that you find yourself having this imaginary conversation with God a God that you you know you may have said I don't even believe in come on in your heart you have conversations you argue your case and you're you, you know you win the case in your heart and you, and you never stop to say why am I even thinking about this? Why, why am I even, um, why does this even bother me? Why do I continue to have a conversation I've already ended with my friend and my spouse and my coworker or my dad? What is churning this up inside me that I continue to think these things even though I can beat everybody at all the arguments? What is it that, why does this thing still nag at me? And here's what you need to know. It's not an it. It's not a thing. It's personal. It's a person. It's why I dare you in those times when you are alone and you've got it all going on on the inside of you. And you get all your defenses, but you're not settled. It's why I would would encourage you to ask, Lord, who are you? Acts chapter 9, verse 6. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do so he sends him on into damascus which is where he was headed anyway and everybody in damascus knows already that that this guy's on the way all right word has gotten out it's kind of leaked ahead of saul and all the christians in damascus know that the, the christian killer is on his way to damascus now they don't know what's happened to saul on the way but but they know that saul's coming word's been put out on the street he's looking for christians verse six now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do meanwhile god wakes this guy up named ananias and i just have to tell you ananias is one of my favorite people in all of scripture i ananias is one of my heroes um i'm going to preach a sermon one of these days just on just on why ananias means so much to me but i just i i love him i just think ananias is a great guy and god wakes him up and says hey you're going to have company today and ananias says well god that's great Who who is it who's it going to be he said well um, You've heard of him before. Well, that's wonderful Who who's going to come see me today? Well, his name is saul saul You mean you mean the christian killer saul? Yes he's coming to your house so Is this like a warning that I should hide my family? You know, I mean what what why exactly are you telling me this? Why is he coming to, and why is he coming to my house? verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he does what we do when we pray, right? We inform God. God, you do know about this guy, right? You you do know that this guy does not like you. Well, he likes you, but he does not like Jesus and therefore does not like me. And God, he wants to hurt me and it's as if you know ananias anticipates an answer from god that would say no i did not know that verse 14 and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name so you know the question that ananias has got on his mind is so why are you bringing him to my house verse 15 but the lord said to ananias go this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Which by the way is exactly what happened. The reason you've heard of this man named Paul, the reason that you know his name is and the reason that 2000 years later everybody knows who Paul is is because it was it was predicted by Jesus. This is the fulfillment of a promise. And he could have gone on to say, you know, and Ananias, the only reason anybody's ever going to know your name, the only reason that your name is ever going to survive the the first century is because you are going to be a footnote in the story of this great man that's going to blow up in world history. Because even though he is my big enemy and I'm about to make him my advocate, I'm about to bring him inside, he's going to do things that you cannot even imagine. And I chose the most unlikely character on the planet to do it. This is a fascinating story. I, you, I mean, you just you cannot overemphasize how much Saul hated Christianity. You can't. Verse 17. This is why I love Ananias. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Can you imagine, you're Ananias. You're scared to death of this guy. He comes to your house and he's blind. Verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. He got up and was baptized. Saul, whoa, 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 whoa. How do you do that so fast? How do you go from, I want to find all the Christians and kill them to, I want to get baptized today. Yeah, I mean, he just went from zero to about 120 i mean how did you do that you didn't you didn't ask any questions you, you didn't solve any questions in your mind i mean these things that have been nagging at you and maybe you wondered about jesus but even so wouldn't you take some time i mean wouldn't it have to develop wouldn't some things have to germinate in your mind you just went from i'm going to go to damascus to kill christians to i'm going to go to damascus Ananias is going to pray with me and i'm going to get baptized and i'm going to be a christ follower And you didn't ask any questions in between how in the world did you get to that place so quickly? You you know, you got to work through some apologetics There have to be some things that you kind of wonder about and and throw up. You know what what about this and how about that? Don't you have to work through some of those things before you get baptized come on saul I mean that just doesn't make any sense You realize that people are going to hear about this And it's going to go public and you're not going to be able to go back to jerusalem And you hanging out with the high priest and getting papers and being buddy buddy with him well enough that you could go get Authority or permission to do something. I mean you can forget that don't go back to jerusalem You're gonna lose all your friends So don't you need to work through some of your objections before you just Throw yourself into this Christianity thing to which he would say, No, because those aren't the questions anymore. Because there are two questions Who is Jesus and what happened? I don't have to have answers to all my questions, but I tell you what the two things that made all my other questions shrink. And disappear and even though I don't have them all answered they there's they might still be there, but they're not very big But the two things that i've really had to have answered and i've gotten answered is who is jesus and what happened And i'm in Because on the road to damascus this got really really personal for me Verse 20 at once he began to preach in the synagogues that jesus is the son of god Don't you know that freaked out every christian around because this guy is feared. I mean, this, this guy w- would, would rival any world leader we've ever known in history that was frightening to us. Saul could have been that to Christians. Everybody knew his name. Everybody knew you didn't want to have a run-in with Saul. He would hurt you. It was bad news if you ran into Saul. And now all of a sudden, he's in the synagogue, which is where the Christians were hanging out, and he's preaching about Jesus. And he stands up and he says, may I have your attention, please? Jesus is the Messiah that just had to be so weird for them to hear and they're like what happened to you verse 21 all those who heard him were astonished and asked isn't this the man who raised havoc in jerusalem among those who call on this on on this name and hasn't he come here to to take them as prisoners to the chief priest everybody knew why he was coming Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ now skip down to verse 26 Eventually, they're going to drive him out of Damascus And he heads down to jerusalem and in jerusalem here is saul and remember now he has lots of questions But he's in and he's been baptized and he's got lots of questions. So who does he want to see he's got a lot to learn about jesus so if he's come back to jerusalem who has he come back to see there's only one group of people and that's the disciples Because everybody else is split. They don't want to be anywhere near where saul's going to be The big guys Paul, uh, peter and james and john and andrew These were the guys that were closest to jesus and saul saying i'm with you. I want to hang out with you I want to learn from you. And so, you know, he's standing outside the door. Hello I imagine the disciples weren't any too happy to open that door You know go away nobody here but us mice leave us alone verse 26 when jesus came when he came to jerusalem he tried to join the disciples but they were afraid of him not believing that he really was a disciple why why didn't they believe that because there's no way that somebody can overnight change like that there's no way that somebody gets all their questions answered and all of a sudden they just come to jesus and there's no problem they didn't believe they thought it was impossible Verse 28, so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now here's my point. We all have questions. Saul had questions. In fact, at one point in his life, he could have stood up and argued why Jesus was not the Messiah. And then a few hours later, he's arguing that he is the messiah so saul which one is it i mean what are we to believe about you and paul would say you know i realized that all those other questions they took a back seat to two things they took a back seat to let me tell you what happened and let me tell you who i believe jesus is And I'll get some answers to my questions if the disciples ever let me in if they ever open the door and let me walk in The battle that is inside of you paul would say is not a battle against an ideology It's not a battle against some theology. It's 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 a person And what if there really is a god that invites you to call him father and what if Jesus is his son and what if the holy spirit really is in the world And what if he loves you? And he is not going to force you to decide. See, that's the thing about Jesus. He's not going to force himself on you. But if there is a who are you to know, don't you want to know that person? Don't you want to know that more than you want the answers to your questions? And so we've been talking about this prayer that that I've been asking you to pray. Lord, if you're out there, if you can be known, I want to know you. Well, I want to add something on the end of that. Lord... If you can be known, I want to know you more than I want the answer to my questions. And then I would ask you to add this little thing onto the end of that prayer. Lord, who are you? Who are you? Tell me, show me. Help me to get that question answered so that I can make these other things either go away or disappear or shrink and get smaller. But the thing I want to know is who are you? Now somebody might be thinking... Well, of course, if I was on my way to the mall and a bright light shined in my eyes and it caused me to wreck on the side of the road and I got out and looked at the bright light then I might believe then if that happened to me then if that happened to you and then you heard, why are you resisting me? Why are you putting up such a fight? Don't you think suddenly all your other questions would shrink if that happened to you? Well, you say yeah if if god would do that. I mean if god would do that i'm in Well, if you would say that Then what just happened is You just admitted something very important. What you're saying is that there is a way around your questions If you're saying that if god were to appear to you the way appeared to saul That it might cause you to stop and say, okay I'm listening then what you just admitted is there is a way for you to make your way around some of the questions that you've got. That there is a way for God to penetrate your heart. There is a way for God to make you consider things maybe that you've never considered before. There is something that God could do or allow to happen that would get your attention really quickly. And you would find yourself on your knees looking at the ceiling saying, God, I've never believed. (laughs) I've never even done this. I'm not sure I believe now, but if you don't do something, it's not ever going to get done. So my point now is to just say, why wait? Why don't you ask right now, hey, if it's you, Lord, if it's you, because if there is a you to know, I want to know that you. It's really more important than all the other stuff I got going on. It's more important than any other question I could ask. Paul would later on write and this is pretty powerful he said one day every knee will bow every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord he did not say one day every single question will be answered he did not say that he says oh no you may never understand everything you may never have all your questions answered You may never get to a place where you come settled in this where you you just say, oh, I got nothing left. Everything's been answered for me. I would just ask you to tack that one thing on the end of that prayer. Lord, who are you? Because I really want to know. Most adults come to Christ when something happens that is so personal that all the other objections begin to shrink. And once you embrace Christ as your Savior, you will get some answers. And some questions just aren't going to matter anymore. And there will be some mysteries and some things you're going to take to your grave with you. Some things you're just never going to get completely ironed out. But let me ask you. If you have never crossed a line of faith, would you at least consider long enough to ask this question and pray this prayer? Lord, if there is a you and you can be known, I want to know you more than I want to know the answer to to all my questions. Lord, who are you? Would you just at least think about praying that prayer and invite God to become very, very personal with you? It's been a great four weeks. I I hope that you have enjoyed uh, at least listening and and for those of you who are Christians maybe have wondered, he spent four weeks talking to mainly Christian people. I don't know if we even had any atheists in the room. Hopefully what you've learned is how to help someone in these kind of situations how to be patient with them how to love them how to talk to them how to help them to see that if they've got questions it doesn't make them a bad person if they're hesitant to come to faith that does not make them the enemy and if you're sitting in the room this morning and you're an atheist and you don't believe in god i want you to know you're among friends we love you and you can walk out of here today and still be an atheist and we're still going to love you If you look at us and say, you guys are a bunch of idiots. I don't know why you believe in Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus and I'm getting the heck out of Dodge. You know what? You need to leave. You need to get the heck out of Dodge knowing that we love you and that Christ loves you and that when the time comes, and you do find yourself driven to your knees because it does get personal, I hope you know there's one place at least that you can come to and you can be safe and we will teach you about Jesus, the one who is, the one who died on a cross and took your sins as far as the east is from the west and offers it to to you as a gift and ensures you heaven. And it's not because we've done anything great or good, it's because we have been forgiven. And so one day, if you ever come around and you think, you know what, maybe there is a Jesus, come see us, because we love you, and Jesus loves you. I hope you'll consider giving your life to Christ. If not today, soon. Let's pray together, then we'll stand and sing. Father, it's been a good four weeks, and we have, uh, we have learned how to strategically consider some things. And all of us in this room this morning have questions that, are, that don't have answers. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to shrink those questions down in light of the two big things that we should answer. We should, we should have these questions. Who are you and what happened? And Father, we invite you to make it personal. We invite you to really get into our heart, work around, make things happen. Father, we love you. But we don't love you near as much as you love us because you've done things for us that there's no way we could do for another person. That you would give your son to die on a cross in the excruciating way that he died to to become sin on our behalf. It's profound. It's heavy. The idea that, that Jesus took my sin on himself and that I am free and forgiven not because I've done anything and not even because I'm good, because I'm not. And I have a righteousness, a right standing with you. Again, not because I did anything good, but purely because Jesus Christ died on a cross for me. And because of that, God, I'm humbled. I'm speechless. And you're amazing. Father, we love you. And we give you thanks for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.